Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. We are at the tail end of absolutely an incredible series. We've been looking at the book of Philippians. Here Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And normally in his books he discovers a lot of issues that a church is dealing with. And he tries to rectify those and tries to bring about some form of resolve. And and sure, he does that a little bit in the book of Philippians. But overall, the overall thrust or idea in this great book is no matter what you you face in life, no matter what you experience, no matter how difficult things may be, no matter what, choose joy. In this season of uncertainty, in this season of frustration, possibly of fear of the unknown, I challenge you today to allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Now Paul says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He said rejoice in the joy of the Lord. Celebrate the joy of the Lord, not in our own ability, not in everything lining up just right, not in everything happening the way they should happen or we think they should happen, but allow the joy that God has to be placed inside of you, to so overflow in you that every step you take, you can't help but share a little bit of him with the world around you. Isn't that awesome? That's good stuff. That's kind of the last 12 weeks wrapped up in about 50 seconds worth of information. But that's what we're talking about in this series. I want to encourage you today, however, not to quickly forget what we've learned. How easy it would be for us to get on the other side of this series to kind of talk about Thanksgiving a little bit, to move into the Christmas season. Yes, it's upon us. My wife asked me this week, so when are we putting the Christmas tree up? What? She wants it up before the kids get home. The kids get home and sometime in in November for the rest of the school year is going to be done and they're going to be with us. And she's like, I want the tree up before they get here. So it looks like i got to work ahead of me on that. So be praying for me. But I encourage you not to quickly forget what we've learned in this series. Don't allow other things to fog your mind, to take you off track, to cause you to forget the goodness of God's Word. That no matter what you face in life, no matter what you go through in life, we must learn to begin to allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Today I want to look at just a couple of verses right in the middle of chapter 4. And then next Sunday we're going to wrap up this series on the book of Philippians. I'm going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. The latter portion of 11 begins with this. Paul says, I have learned, say learned. I have learned to be Content. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Why does he say, I have learned? Why doesn't he just say, I am content? Or 
regardless of what happens around me, I will be content. No, no, no. He takes the time to say, I've learned. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. To be content, whatever the circumstances. I know. In other words, I am confident in the fact I am determined to know. Nothing is going to sway my mind. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, there's that word again, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. We look at life today, especially in 2020, and it's so easy for us to become overwhelmed by what's happening around us, that we simply fluctuate with the environment. One one time we're content over here, the next time we're discouraged over there, and there's this roller coaster event going on. Can I just tell you, that's not how God designed us to live. That's not what God has for you and for me. So what does it mean to be content? Well, the word contentment by definition is this, peace of mind, mental or emotional satisfaction. To be content means that we have peace of mind, that we've allowed a peace to settle inside of us. Can I just tell you, too often we try to allow the peace that the world gives to be rest inside of us, but that peace only hangs out when everything works out just the way we want it. But the Bible says that the peace that God supplies to us, the peace that he wants to give to us, far surpasses anything and everything that we can comprehend. So if we want to learn to be content, then what do we have to do? We have to allow all that he is to consume all that we are. Have you heard that before? Hopefully you've been listening over the last several weeks. We've said that a lot. Why? Because the only way that we can function in this life, the only way that no matter what we experience, we can have joy is to allow all that he is to consume all that we are. Contentment, peace of mind, mental or emotional satisfaction. We're not talking about being satisfied with life and and failing to continue to grow. You see, Paul's definition of contentment is probably the, the simplest of them all. Paul says, I don't need anything. Paul says, I've learned what it means just to hang out whether I have all of everything out there, whether I have nothing at all, whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm hungry, no matter what I experience, I've learned what it means to be content. I don't need anything. Let's take a look at a few words that are the opposite. Whether you know me or not, I'm kind of a word guy. I like to kind of look at definitions when I'm preparing a message. I'm going to research that word. I'm going to go on, and I'm going to look at all the definitions available. I'm going to look at the original background of the word. I'm going to try to figure things out. But sometimes, to me, it helps to look at the opposite of the word to really discover what the word really means. Does that make sense? All right, so let me give you a couple words that are the opposite of content or contentment. 
The first is envy. The word envy is defined as a feeling of discontent or resentment aroused by or in conjunction with desires for the possessions or qualities of another. Right off the bat, we discover that envy is the opposite because it's a feeling of discontent. So if it's discontent, then it's not content. It's the opposite. It's anti-content, if you would. The next word is covets. To wish long or crave for something, to covet something, to desire something, especially the property of another person. When I first met, was no, it wasn't you guys. I was getting ready to rat on you guys, Pastor Luke. No, but it's another new family to our church. We we went out for ice cream. We were talking about cars, and I realized really quickly that she was not covetous of my car because she asked me if I lost a bet, if that's why I drive a yellow Mini Cooper. <laughs> that hurt. That hurt. And Amanda, if you're in the house, I'm still praying for you. But the word covet is to wish long or crave for something, especially the property of another person. The word greed, the opposite of of content. An excess desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves. Have you ever felt greedy on something? You really don't need it, but someone says it's free, so what do you do? You take everything. I mean, there's a bowl of candy, you're like... You're having your wife pull out her big purse. You know, she's tried to move to that little tiny one, but it's not working any longer. So she pulls back out the the duffel bag purse, and you're dumping it. Yeah, we're all there. Greed, an excess desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves, especially with respect to material wealth. What's in it for me? That's probably one of the biggest statements that we make as Americans. Rather than just reaching out and helping someone else, rather than being a resource for them, our first question is, what do I get out of this? What can I gain out of this? You know, sometimes, many times, quite often, it's not about us. It's about what can we do for someone else. The Bible says earlier in the book of Philippians, don't be so consumed with what's about you. Don't be so consumed about your own needs and your own desires, but look out for those around you. Are you taking the opportunity to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus to a broken world, to a world that's hopeless, to a world that really does not have peace? Greed and excessive desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves. And finally, the word worry. Maybe that's where you've been hanging out. You're so worried. Worried that you won't have enough money to pay the bills. You're worried that you will catch coronavirus. Worried that you have to be isolated for 14 days and they're just not working out in your schedule. Worried that things aren't going to happen the way that you want them to happen. Consumed with worry. To feel uneasy or concerned about something. To be troubled. Like Paul, each and every one of us here today, we have a choice in life. How are we going to respond when life throws us curveballs? How are we going to respond when difficulty 
comes our way, what are we going to do? Are you today, no matter what, going to choose joy? Are you going to lean on the strength given to you by God and to rely upon the assurance that comes from a relationship with him? Or will we choose to continue to fight the battle of discontentment, envy, covetousness, greed, and worry. What choice will you make today? You see, Paul tells us over and over, you must choose. Here's the deal, folks. I can't choose for you. I, your pastor, as much as I would love to, as much as I want to make sure the path in front of you is smooth and and easy, I can't choose for you. Quite honestly, I can't even choose for my wife and kids. Today, I'm responsible for me. But likewise, you are responsible for you. What choice will you make when opposition comes your way, when the potential of receiving greed comes your way? What choice will you make when somebody gets something better than you? Right now, the new iPhone is out. Mm. Boy, this is like division here, isn't it? Next week we'll have an iPhone side, and no, we'll put the iPhone over here because this is my right side. <laughs> yeah. But the new iPhone is out, and how, how easy it would be to go, man, the 10X Plus is not good enough anymore. I need the 12 Max. something new comes out, the first thing we want to do is order. Some of you, please don't raise your hand. Some of you put your order in as soon as you could. You were waiting on your phone and you watched the video and when Apple put this thing out and you were ready to order yours and you hit send and you ordered it and it's on its way and you're so excited. I'm not guilty. (laughs) I still have the 10. Thank you very much. It's so easy to allow Envy and covetousness, greed, worry, discontentment to settle in. But remember, we are instructed according to Paul, according to God's word, that no matter what we face in life, the best choice that we can make is joy. The Apostle Paul grabbed life by the horns, he wrestled it down to the ground. And instead of having spiritual ups and spiritual lows as situations changed around him, he went right on steadily doing the work of God, serving Jesus. In fact, at the latter portion of this great book, the book of Philippians, in his notes as he's writing to us, He indicates that he is not the victim of circumstance, but the victor over circumstance. He says, I can accept all things in Philippians 4.11. I can do all things in Philippians 4.13. I have all things in Philippians 4.18. 
Paul did not have to be pampered to be content. He found his contentment in the spiritual resources available to him and abundantly provided to him by none other than God and God alone. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Some of you need to get out a pen or a pencil or a crayon or a highlighter or whatever you've got. You need to write this down. As a Christian, you are not called to be a victim. You are set up to be the victor. Some of you need to hold on to that. We live in a society right now that wants to make you the victim. They want to make you discontent. They want you to feel like the world is against you. But can I just tell you, according to God's word, you are not the victim. God has set you up to be the victor. You are more than a conqueror. That victory is yours. It's time, listen carefully, it's time that the church, it's time that the Christian, it's time that we begin to act the victor. It's time to walk in contentment. I want to look at two ideas, two keys in this process. I told you I would come back to it. Here it is. Paul says, I have learned. Learned simply means that, that I learn by experience, by, by processing through life. Paul's spiritual contentment was not something that he immediately received on the road to Damascus when the light shone from heaven and suddenly Jesus began to speak to him and change his name from, Paul to, uh, from Saul to Paul. It wasn't in that moment that he learned to be content. He had to go through many trials, many experiences in life to learn what it means to be content. He felt that it was so important that we understood this idea of learn that he repeated it twice. Look in Philippians 4.11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The latter portion of verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, I think that Paul stresses this idea of learned to be content for a couple reasons. Number one, because it's not natural. It's not a natural response as a human, as a person, to be content. Our natural tendency, according to our sinful nature, we default to envy. We default to coveting. We default to greed. We default to worry. We don't settle in on contentment. We don't come up one day and go, man, everything is great. All of life is awesome. I'm content in where I am. No, what we want to do is go, I want what you have. I'm jealous about what you have. I'm concerned about today. I'm concerned about tomorrow. But God says, would you just take a moment and rest in the assurance of God Almighty? You weren't created to be a victim. You were designed, you were equipped to be the victor. Number two, to learn something, you have to practice. Those of you that know me know that I'm musical. I love to, to sing, I love to play the piano, I love to play the trumpet. And I remember my first instrument, well, I guess first was piano. And then I went to the trumpet after that. And I remember when I first got my trumpet, 
Mom and dad got tired of me blowing that thing in the house, so they put me outside to bless the neighborhood. Now, fortunately for me, my neighbor was about four years older than me, and she played the trumpet. So she had been playing for four years by this point. And she heard me making these awful duck, duck, duck calls in the backyard on my trumpet. She came over and taught me. But what did I have to do? I had to begin to practice. I had to put into practice what she told me to do. Now, as a believer, as a Christian, we must learn to put into practice what we've learned. The Bible says, don't just be a hearer of God's word, but be a doer of God's word. What does that mean? I put into practice what I've learned. I put into practice what it means to be content. I put into practice pushing aside envy. I put into practice practice pushing aside worry. That's the case when it comes to being content. Learning to be content is a process, not something that happens overnight. As Americans in our culture, we are constantly bombarded with advertisements whose sole purpose is to cause us to be discontent with what we have. But we must learn to put into practice God's word. So the first thing is to, I have learned. The second is to be content. The word content actually means contained. It's a description of a man whose resources are within him so that he doesn't have to depend upon the substance without. Let me say that again. It's a a description of a man whose resources are within so he doesn't have to depend on substance Without, how many of you know substance without or on the outside will let you down? The Greek word here literally means self-sufficient. But for the Christian, we're not sufficient in ourselves. How do I know that? Because the Bible says we all fail. We all mess up. We all fall short. We must continuously rid ourselves of that which slows us down. So by ourselves, we are not sufficient. By ourselves, we can't do it. So what do we need? We need Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. In fact, we're going to share it from several different translations throughout this message this morning. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In fact, when I was a school teacher, I had a... a, uh, paperweight on my desk that had that scripture. I know it's taking it out of context, but it helped me get through seventh grade class. I would read that as 54 students were walking in the door, or the biggest year, 78 students by myself bombarded my class, seventh and eighth graders. I looked at that and I thought, I can do this, Jesus, because you're with me. But I love how the Amplified translation reads this. It says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Look at that. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency because Jesus Christ is in me because he's taken residence in me because he is completely self-sufficient. Now I can move forward because of what's in me, not concerned about what's without me. All right, I want to give you three secrets to contentment in God. Are you ready? 
I got 10 minutes. Three secrets. Number one, the amazing provision of God. Three secrets of contentment in God. The amazing provision of God. Philippians 4.10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. We sometimes get the idea that this world around us is a vast natural machine that even God himself cannot interrupt the wheels that are turning. But the Bible clearly teaches us of the providential working of God. That God's hand is in control. We used to sing the song as kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. We go on. He's got the mamas and the papas. The brothers and the sisters. God's got the whole world in his hand. Now this word, providence, comes from two Latin words. First is pro, meaning before, and the second video, which means to see. So together what we discovered is God's providence simply means that God sees to it beforehand. Let that sink in just for a moment. The situation, the circumstance that you're dealing with right now, God doesn't just see it in advance, but he sees to it in advance. There's a huge difference between seeing it and seeing to it. My wife can say, hey, you need to take the trash out, and I can go, yeah, I saw it. But if all I do is see it, nothing is being done. But if I see to it, if I get up off the couch, if I get out of the seat, if I begin to move toward it and I grab that trash bag and I remove it, suddenly it's being done. I've seen to it and the change has set in. God sees to our issues. It is the working of God in advance to arrange the circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of his purpose. Now, Listen carefully, though. We're not robots that just walk around. We have a free will of what we will do. God's got a plan. Jeremiah 28, 11 says God has a plan for you, a good plan to prosper you, not destruction, a good plan for you. But sometimes we don't choose to go down the right path. Now, God will see to it in our life. God will lay out the path in front of us. God will lay that path straight. But sometimes, for one reason or another, we go the opposite direction than what he's calling us to do. So I challenge you today, don't blame God for where you are. Because you had a free will to get there. Amen? Let's move on. Psalm 32, 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best best path of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. God has a plan for you. God wants to steer your life. The the question is, are, are you willing to listen to him? Are you willing to trust him even when it doesn't make sense? There's a story in Genesis chapter 22. Some of you may know the story. It's about a man by the name of Abraham. 
Now, Abraham had always wanted to have a son. In fact, God had promised Abraham that he would have a son. But it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old, it wasn't until that point that he received this son. Now, several years down the road, God began to speak to Abraham. And here Isaac is, he's beginning to grow up. And and God says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. Here's the journey for tomorrow. I want you to take Isaac, you know, your only son. And I want you to get some kindling. I want you to get some wood. And I need you to get a torch. And I want you to begin to go to the point that I tell you to go. And when you get there, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's rough. So Abraham, trusting God completely, he takes his son, the Bible says in Genesis 22, yes, Isaac, whom he loves so much, and God says, go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, he took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped the wood for the fire, for the burnt offering, and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, could you imagine with me what it would be like to be Abraham or even to be Isaac in this moment? You're three days into a journey. You've got the wood. You've got the fire. You've got your son and your servants with you. And all along the way, your son Isaac is going, Dad, we had the wood, we had the fire, but where's the sacrifice? I can imagine Abraham looking at Isaac and saying, Son, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. See, God sees to it before we ever get to it. Let's go on. Let me skip down a few verses. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Builds the altar. Says, Isaac, come on, bud. The Lord will provide But dad, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry, son. The Lord will provide. Don't worry, son. The Lord will provide. And the Bible says, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham! Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. The Lord sees to it before we ever get there. There was the ram, the sacrifice, caught by the horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. I ask you today, are you truly trusting and relying upon the amazing provision of God, even when it doesn't make sense? 
Number two, the unfailing power of God. Philippians 4.13 from the New Living Translation, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. It was the power in him. It was the power in Paul. That power is Jesus that gave him the ability to be spiritually content. Now, Jesus taught this same lesson in the midst of his sermon about the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. He says that he is the vine, that we are the branches, and a branch is only good for bearing fruit. Otherwise, it's taken and thrown out and and burns. The branch does not bear fruit through its self-efforts. Have you ever cut a, a limb off, sat at the side and said, man, I hope that grows apples? Guess what? It's not going to do so. It's going to wither up and die. Why? Because it's separated from the source. It draws life from the vine. John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do, say it with me, Nothing. As a believer, as we remain connected in communion and connection with Jesus, the power of God is there to see us through. From the Phillips translation, it says, I'm ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. I'm ready for anything, no matter what life throws my way, no matter what I experience tomorrow morning, no matter what this week looks like, no matter how difficult it may be, I am ready because of the strength and the ability that flows into me through the one that goes before me. And again, the Amplified, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I ask you today, what are you sufficient in? Are you leaning and trusting in the unfailing power of God Almighty? Or are you leaning to the limited ability that life throws your way? Point number three, the unchanging promise of God. The unchanging promise of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So what does that mean to you and to me today? It means that every promise in the word of God, every promise from God, It's something that we can hold on to. So with that in mind, take a look at Philippians 4.19. Paul says, and this same God, how many of you know that God never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Some of you have been leaning on so many other things. But today, God says, would you rest in me? Would you rely upon me? 
Would you find your strength in me? Dr. Adrian Rogers once said this. He says, perfect contentment, the kind David discovered, only comes when a person puts his or her complete trust in the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. You will never have true satisfaction until you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. You will never find contentment in life until you learn to rest in his arms. The Lord is my shepherd and mean it. Then and only then you can confidently say, I shall not once. 23rd Psalm, for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still water, restores my soul. I don't have time to preach through the 23rd Psalm, but suffice it to say that it starts by acknowledging the fact that God is our shepherd, that God is our strength. There's no way as a believer, as, a, as an individual, that we can ever come to the place of complete contentment until we can truly profess, God, you are my shepherd. Lord, I rely upon you. God, I find my sufficiency in you and you alone. The promise of God is guaranteed for you and for me. But here's the deal. We've got to do our parts. We have to step up. We have to accept the promise. We've got to relinquish control. We've got to give it to him. And I wonder today, where's your sufficiency found? Paul says, I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency what he has laid out, because what he has given, because what he makes available to us. We can plant both feet solid on the ground. When the wind blows, when the storms rage, when opposition comes our way, we don't fall. Why? We're self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency because of the strength that he gives 